Welcome to Culture Crawl HCX Podcast. I'm your co-host, Michael Ward Jr. And this is Donald Scott II. We talk about people or talk about uh, parties instead of actually addressing the issue and the concern, uh, which I think is an issue. But I'm really curious into what are y'all thoughts when we think about uh, the politics of identity? Wow, so I, I would begin by saying that um, most often people hear the phrase identity politics. And I like politics of identity more than I like the phrase identity politics. Hmm, do tell. Yeah, I think identity politics kind of flattens out some of the work that people have done over the last um, four or five decades to um, move uh, equality and equity um, up in our country. So that's, that's where I would begin. And I think, you know, to kind of move forward, maybe it makes sense for us to talk about what identity politics means to us so that we can then probably open it up. So what do you think when you hear identity politics? Yeah, for me, it goes back to what is the root of the cause and who is it that they address? So if I'm thinking about politics, and this is my you know, poli-sci hat on here I'm throwing on, um, as I think about issues around food, around health, around economic development, and then I think about the identity of those, well, what is the individuals you are targeting or the outcome that you want to have? Um, and that's what comes to, from my sake, when I'm thinking about, you know, politics of identity or even identity of politics, politics is that what is, the, what is the outcome of the policy that you're pushing through? Because a lot of times I think policy is, is, is um, pushed or is, or is um, approved, but they don't really think through how that policy is impacting certain individuals or certain people. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are, you know, good, good, big points. How about you, Desiree? Identity politics. When I think about identity politics, I'm sensitive. I am centering more of the identity piece. So it's like, how are you navigating your identity and the act of navigating your identity in systems that were not built for you, that in itself is politics. Right. Ooh. So that's that's the fr- that's the frame that the perspective that I'm coming from. Snap, snap, snap. Right. So when I think about it, I again kind of start in the historic moment and you know, let's not go way, way back, but let's go back to like the 50s and the 60s and think about um uh, feminism or um, women's liberation movements, um, American Indian movement, uh, Chicano movement, civil rights movement, all of those are identity-based movements. And so people argued for their equality and for their um, basic citizen ri- citizenship rights based in their identities. So, um, yes, I am a Black Native American Chicano woman, and I deserve the same human and citizenship rights as any other person. Preach it. Say it again. Oh, (laughs) preach. (laughs) Yeah, and so that's where it begins. 
Um, and um, what people did was to kind of dig into their own culture and to say, this is the unique culture of women. This is the unique culture of Chicanos, Mexican Americans, Native Americans. And we believe that we should be here. And we believe that because of these very things, not in spite of, but because of these very things, we are uh, human individuals who demand the same human and citizen rights as anyone else. And so that's where it all kind of stems from most recently. Um, so, you know, fast forward and what happens is we get to the 90s and there's beginning to be a pushback from people saying, argue for diversity. Well, then the pushback is, oh, you people of color who are interested in your queerness or in your race are really just victims. You're just, you know, keep telling us that your difference makes you a victim. And so it begins to be, rather than a point of pride, um, people, and I mean white people here and, and some other people, will begin to see it, oh, well, you're talking about your identity because that makes you think you're a victim. And so there's been a kind of, then there was a backlash to that um, around the early 2000s where people said, please, we are in a post-racial moment. Our race does not matter. Please don't no, care. The color. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're post-racial, we're colorblind, we're even gender blind. It doesn't matter to me if you are a person of color. It doesn't matter to me if you're queer. And essentially that's, you know, turn down the volume on um, your difference. <laughs> and so, you know, I think we're in a different moment altogether now where before we were kind of arguing for our individual differences to come together and argue for all of our humanity. Whereas now I think there's a, a challenge where we're thinking about our identities solely as single people and not as members of larger communities. Ah, um, what do you think about that? I'm yeah, happy you, um, say, you said that. I'm happy you said that. I, oh, go ahead, Donald. Jump in? Um, yeah. I know I've been silent. Um, on the topic of identity politics and, and my perspective when we use those words, what I found in the media is, and it's interesting to hear about the historical, um, the historical instantiation of identity politics from a minority perspective. These days, we keep hearing it from the breakout of the majority perspective, right? So it's yeah. like white yeah. evangelical Christians or yeah. white uh, suburban housewives or college educated white women or you know they've they've created these different demographics for the majority yep. but then they've bucketed all of the other minorities in as minorities whether you yep. be black hispanic lgbt plus native american right even 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 when we say bipoc right it's us versus them but we are a conglomerate and they've broken out their segments as a function of what the base is, at least in the United States. Um, so it's interesting to think about how identity politics actually started where it was a function of um, 
rights not being granted or rights being withheld, which is now flipped all the way back around and rights are still being withheld, but we use the terminology around identity politics to focus on the majority that has always had the rights anyway. Yeah, you are absolutely right. They took a page out of our playbooks and they are, uh, they are using them. Could you elaborate on that, Donald, just about the way the, uh, the, the whites are broken down and we are, um, I understand how we are lumped um, into just, you know, people of color, yeah, got that. But on the whites, how are they broken down? Could you elaborate on that for me? Well, I think um, if you, and this is just about the media co that I've consumed specifically yep. related to politics, right? Mm -hmm. So when we were talking about Joe Biden, and his ranking among the other candidates. As we were rolling into this South Carolina conversation, they were like, oh, Joe Biden has the quote unquote black vote. But what he actually had was, at least in South Carolina, the confidence of a, a majority of religious African-American women who assigned and associated Joe Biden with Barack Obama, mm -hmm. right? now. However you want to call out that subset of the group, it's still a subset. It's not the 20 to 30-year-old uh, uh, California, Bay yep. Area native, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like those black people are different from the black people that we're talking about in South Carolina. But in the news, they were saying that Joe Biden has the black vote. Um, yep. Whereas when we start talking about... Uh, Trump, right, and, and even his supporters, Trump's supporters are still segmented in and of themselves, right? Are they the Christian Trump supporters? Are they the Second Amendment uh, Trump supporters? Are they the racist Trump supporters? Are they the, um, you know, the I voted for Obama, but now I'm voting for Trump Trump supporters, right? We, we have to listen and break down all of their different segments, but I've not ever heard anybody say something about the college educated uh uh 25 to 35 year old married black man who supports beto o'rourke you know what i'm saying like we don't get to see how we break down but from an identity politics perspective we see how they break down and then when it's given back to us they tell us that our entire block is voting for this one person um and it, it kind of ran itself i mean now i'm getting talkative but when um, Bloomberg was running all those ads and he was yeah. spending millions of dollars in advertising, people actively forgot or never really knew how he associated or how he was um, uh, related to stop and frisk, right? Mm -hmm. And even then, when you start talking about stop and frisk, people, some people think that it's only a function of New York City, but I, you know, I have family that's, um, police department and stop and frisk was a, a national experience yep. for many black men. We know that, right? Run, I mean, okay, fine. <laughs> I used to run away from the police back in the day, but what else is there to do? Um, but the point is black people, because they were looking at these videos on TV of Michael Bloomberg with Obama or with black people in his commercials, I have family members, right, who were prepared to vote for Bloomberg. Um, and it's kind of like, yeah, no, 
that's probably not going to be your best use of your vote. And it wasn't that they were voting for him based on anything more than the ads, right? So from an identity politics perspective, again, they know that all they have to do is put a couple black people into a commercial, run a whole bunch of commercials, and that is where we get our education from. And I think that's where some of the danger in the identity politics comes in because I think, you know, relative to the conversation that we just had, um, categorization, right, and self-assignment to groups and blocks is something that we do naturally as people. But when you wrap politics into it, it becomes dangerous if the politics are not for the people. Yeah, no, that, that makes uh, perfect sense, and I completely agree with that. And you got me just thinking, to kind of go back to Sharice's earlier comment, just about how us as individuals, or us as people now, like we more so think about us individually versus us collectively over a shared commonality, right? So thinking about me as a, as a Black man versus me amongst Black men, right, and other Black men. Um, and as even as you even think about Austin specifically, they've used that to their advantage because of how fragmented we are. And as I think about all of these, uh, what's the word, all of these um, resources and policies that are tied to African-American, it's like, okay, well, well what makes me African-American versus Black versus Caribbean? Because I'm Jamaican and my family is Jamaican. I grew up in a Jamaican household. So when people say, oh, you're African-American, it's like, yes, I was born in America and I'm African-American, but I'm also Jamaican because there are things from my Jamaican culture that is not at all tied to my African-American culture, which is very different than the overall catch-all Black culture. And I had a very interesting conversation with my cousins around, you know, what's the difference between our communities and if we can throw in actual Africans coming from Africa now and without you know them family being tied to American roots, there's a huge disconnect even within the black community with all those different moving pieces and ethnicities. Absolutely. I mean it goes to the point of what is the black community? Um, and it is extremely diverse, much more diverse even than we uh, we as black people tend to think of it ourselves. Yeah. Diverse by region, diverse by um, national origin, language, food mm -hmm. cultures, um, and politics. To, um, to Donald's point, I mean, we can't assume that we're all going to be Democrats, for example, or mm -hmm. even that we're all going to vote with a Bloomberg or a Biden or a Kamala Harris, for example. No, you completely agree. And that's where, that's where getting outside of the American bubble, uh, to me, is one of the best things to do. Because my whole just viewpoint of things completely changed when I you know, lived overseas, went abroad, had different interactions with different cultures. Mind you, I'm from Miami, so I already had a whole bunch of different cultures. But it wasn't the same conversation talking to African-Americans in America versus talking with other ethnicities um, outside of America. It's just it, uh, um, there's a lack of real understanding 
and I'm just going to call it for, for lack of a better word, just ignorance. And you are only, you only you're taught certain things and only showed certain things. And because of racism, because of slavery, you've kind of stayed in America. You haven't gone anywhere else. So now you really don't know what is really going on in the world. You're just being fed and told certain things because of the media and because of where you currently live. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's this uh, kind of theoretical idea about uh, kind of strategic uh, collaborations or strategic identifications. And it's basically the idea that at one moment you might identify with the larger Black community in a transcultural way. But, um, you know, at another moment, you might identify with um, Jamaican-born folks or with Jamaican-Americans, for example. So there are ways in which even the identities that we think are, are steadfast and true can be prioritized or, you know, kind of put down on the list and others can come up on the list for uh, political action to happen uh, together. And so, you know, this is kind of getting to the points that you're talking about. I'm just thinking through my, my life and my journey and other conversations with people that I've had around this specific topic. And well, we didn't label it, you know, identity or politics or politics of identity. We're just talking through some of the challenges that we see and how us as a community just kind of lump some into, into one group and how when we think about those that are pushing out policy, is that it's it's all a game it's all a uh, it's all a game it's, it's all a show and if you are able to manipulate um, a certain communities and take advantage of the lack of information and a lack of resources that they have then you'll be able to accomplish your goal if you can manipulate them in the way that you want to and given the way our current system is set up right now there is a lot of manipulation being done across communities but specifically those that are low income, underserved, underrepresented, which the black and Latino community make up a large percentage of those communities. Yeah, I mean, this goes back to Donald's point that what the alt-right and the white supremacist group have learned is that those same markers of um, difference and um, disparate treatment and disparate equality, they can use those same catchphrases and apply them to their, themselves. And, um, you know, that's how we, <clears throat> that's how we come to this, uh, idea that some of the alt-right is using that they are disempowered, that they have less privilege because, they're a quote unquote minority, that they have fewer numbers than other people, um, that they have, you know, they have disparate treatment because they don't get to run everything like they used to get to run everything, or because they are um, lower class, that that's um, a, a distinct marker of how they're not advantaged anymore 
and <laughs> that they should be advantaged again. So it's a, it can be a really tricky thing in um, kind of identifying um, a group's minority status, what makes them minorities now has, is, you know, basically a kind of set of stories that um, can be picked up by people who are not in fact minorities. Oh my gosh. So I watched this, I watched a show called American Housewife on ABC. I love it. It's about this family and they have like, they have three kids and the son on this particular episode, um, he works the, the teen help hotline and one night somebody calls in and like they're gay, but they don't want to like out themselves. Right. Um, so they're really struggling with it internally. Well, he figures out who it is at his school because it's supposed to be anonymous, but he figures out who it is at his school and the guy gets afraid that he's going to tell everybody. So he tells everybody that um that the son is actually the one that's gay to and so instead of um saying oh that's not true the son like let people believe that because he wanted to teach the guy a lesson uh, um that it's okay to to come out like you will be accepted for who you are um that's the lesson he was trying to teach but um and and as he was pretending to be to be gay, he realized all these privileges all of a sudden, not privileges, like yeah. he got treated differently because he was gay. People were a little bit more careful. They didn't want to like offend. And so he and so when you talk about um people trying to 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 claim certain identities because they will be seen as like a victim or somebody who who people will act differently around. It made me think about, about that episode. And it basically was speaking to that. Yeah, I mean, that's a, you know, probably a, a straight person writing that episode. <laughs> writing that story, you know, kind of assuming that there are privileges that come along with coming out when you're um, a high school student. But um, I mean, you know, let's hope that really there are. And, you know, it might kind of open the door to some aspects of community with other queer folks, um, queer plus folks. But on the other hand, really the larger world is going to, you know, not, not be as um, privileging <laughs> as that. I did want to ask a question. Uh, you said earlier in the conversation, talking around uh, humanity, and instead of us talking about issues as you know, we're all human and we all deserve these things, they've kind of like broken down into specific groups, and so individuals can play the can play victims. Um, I'm a big believer that we are only as strong as our weakest link. And as I, as I think about that, it's not just in the sense of Austin, it's not just in the sense of the Black community, it's not just in the sense of America. I would just think about that as the whole entire world, where right? we all play a, a specific role and we are either adding to the benefit of other people or we are um, removing um, or adding more, negative, more negativity uh, to everybody. So then as we think about the identity of politics and we think about humanity, what are some things you think that we could do to bring us closer together versus tear us apart? Wow, Michael, that's a big question. <laughs> um, a big question and a deep question. I, you know, I was really hopeful in this COVID moment um, when all of us as people were 
and as we still are, um, affected equally by this disease and virus. Um, and that I, I had the hope in the beginning that it would um, kind of cut across party lines, that we would uh, band together for the well-being of, of humans and then of us as humans. And then there was that, you know, really interesting uh, kind of environmental stuff that started to happen as a result of all of us being in our houses. Mm -hmm. And then the planet started to get more healthy, um, you know, in a bouncing back, very small way. And that was really, um, you know, kind of enlightening and hopeful to me. And, um, and so I, I do feel like there were a couple of weeks um, where we did kind of cut past, cut through politics cut through class issues and um, national origin issues to kind of recognize the humanity of one another. Um, and so I guess I'm hopeful that that can happen again, though, of course, we have moved back into a more kind of politically isolated moment in COVID. Yeah, I, I was, I am still hopeful of that because I've been on a lot of different calls um, with different organizations. So I'm on like daily calls with about anywhere from 30 to 45 different organizations, individuals on a, on a daily basis, all looking to address COVID-19 in various angles. And one thing that I can say that I definitely do see the sense of urgency around this is may not be coming from everyone. And it may not be coming from the right people. Um, there, are, there are those that have the right decision, the, the power to make the decision, I would say. But there's definitely a movement going on. And I, and I also saw where it was some video and information just based on, you know, now more animals are coming out. Animals that they thought were endangered are coming back together. Yeah. Our emissions are going down. So there's definitely COVID-19 has just showed us that the way we've been living this whole entire time, maybe not have been the best way to be living here on earth right so maybe we need to change our approaches change uh, how we eat change how we communicate change how we interact with one another for the better because we only got one earth and i know people keep talking about going or going to somewhere else but it's like hey this earth was for us for a reason so let's do what we got to do to make it, to keep it here and keep it healthy yeah i'm i'm with you on that i i hope that it's it manifests a, a larger, deeper change for all of us, that we can have a slower pace, that we can keep our cars off of the road, that we can ride our bikes more, that um, it's good to hear bird song. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, um, I'll go ahead and make sure to tap you on your shoulder once that time arises. <laughs> yeah, I kind of have a... Um... I wouldn't say opposite opinion, but I will say that uh, I made this comment to a friend that coronavirus represents the Earth's uh, battle back against us as the cancer, right, inside of the world. Because what are we doing right here? Killing each other. We are divisive. We're destroying the Earth's natural resources. 
right? If you think of the earth as a as a living being in and of itself, our destruction, right, in mass is like the body fighting off a disease. Um, and maybe we will uh, do better as humans, but we already see that our politics and the people who we will and will not vote for uh, are creating again this space where it's divisive because power lies in division, not in community and cohesion. So we'll see. I, I mean, I'm interested to see how we operate as a full humanity relative to the globe, not just to ourselves as a human species um, sharing this planet with other species. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I and I think it, I forgot where I saw this or read this, but it's like in, in, in a lot of scenarios, if you see someone doing something, you can't ignore what they're doing because eventually what they're doing is going to impact you. Yeah. So you have to be engaged. You got to be like, hey, time out what you're doing over there because they may be on the complete opposite side of the earth or complete opposite side of wherever you're from. But what they're doing eventually is going to be impacting you, and I and I think that we just focus that we that we um, that we tend to the expression too much, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And I don't think that we need to have that mentality. Instead, and uh, I'm a big believer that we need to care about everything, you know, everything all the time. Because if you don't, you're going to drop the ball, and then we're going to see the disparities that we see today. We're going to be divided amongst the black community, amongst the community of. of of color amongst individuals that are underserved, under, like underrepresented, like we have all these divisions and silos that have been created because of this out of sight, out of mind mentality or not necessarily caring about the whole, but caring more so on the individual. Yeah, it's true. I mean, the, the other thing that I found compelling about what Donald said is that um, it's hard not to think about this in relation to apocalyptic narratives that we see with movies and um, and in books, and mm-hmm. you know, sometimes they end in dystopia, and sometimes they end in utopia. So I, I guess I do hope that we have that um, that we learn from this rather than not learning from it. Yeah, and I completely agree. And on that note, we're going to close out of Culture Crawl ATX podcast. We thank you so much for listening. And we ask that you take this time to follow Culture Crawl ATX on Instagram and click that like button and follow on your favorite podcast listening platform.